Welcome to the Love Works Podcast. Today we have one of the most proven business leaders in Memphis, Lori Tucker, as our guest. Lori, we are so glad to have you in studio with us today. Let me give our listening audience a little bit of your story before we jump in. You would know Lori by Federal Express. For the last 35 years, she has served as Senior Vice President of Corporate Marketing, but she is also a member of our Love Works Board and is going to have a strategic role in our upcoming Leadership Works Conference. So we are so excited that you took time out of your busy world to come and hang out in the studio with us. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Karen. I love being here. And in recent years, she's better known as Will Tucker's mom. Uh, My favorite title. That's right. That's right. As parents, that's probably the day that we truly graduate when we are no longer known for our accomplishments, but known for our children's accomplishments. So we're grateful to have you here. Grateful to have you as a part of the LoveWorks board and playing a, a strategic role in the Leadership Works Conference. So we're excited to learn a little bit about how you became the leader that you are. Lori, anyone who knows you in a professional setting knows just how influential you were at Federal Express in the branding world and all that you did for them. But we love to kind of know the story behind the story. So before we kind of jump into all the ways that you led in corporate America, how did you get to be the Lori Tucker before you entered corporate world? Uh, That is amazing. Going way, way, way back. (laughs) I would love sharing my faith story. I love teaching others to share their faith story because you always want to do the sort of what was your life before and when you came to Christ and what is your life after. I became a believer at age 15. I was raised sort of in a church. You know, I was one of those Easter Christmas people. Certainly would have defended the fact that I was a Christian as opposed to any other religion. But the reality was that I had no concept of salvation in Christ. I was blessed beyond blessing that God chose me because it all came together around age 15 when a group of young believers sort of started hanging out in the same hangouts that us kids were hanging out back then and started asking very forwardly, are you saved? Are you going to heaven? And it was through that sort of forward questioning and curiosity that I went to a church and heard a young man preach on denying yourself and taking up your cross and following Christ when I realized I had had no idea and no concept. I would tell you, having not really been churchy, I didn't really understand a lot of the words, but I knew that night that I wanted to have Jesus as my Savior. I had a radical life change, radical. I was in the 10th grade in high school, and I thought I was going to be the sorority socialite. My goodness, God shook me to the core. I was now the Bible thumper Jesus freak at my high school, which y'all will love, Overton High School. In fact, I went to my principal, who happened to be Joseph Clayton, who later Mm -hmm. was first principal and helped us found Briarcrest. He was a born-again believer, as I found out, when I went to him and said, can we start a Bible club, which became the biggest club at Overton. So I had a wonderful upbringing then under great, great leadership, being part of East Park Baptist Church and Briarcrest. And as my life went on, being a believer and having having been surrounded by wonderful church people. Part of why I think I was always so comfortable being around people and being able to stand up in front of people and talk. Now, some of that's genetic. You know, we we really look at our parents. We know, okay, I got some of that from my parents. But it was because from a very young age, I was telling people about Jesus. I was in front of churches and schools and people telling them that they needed to know the Lord. And I think that helped me develop leadership characteristics even into my early 20s when I first began working 
working at FedEx. So in that way, I assume that shortly after you came to faith in Christ, you began to sense that there was a greater purpose in your life. How did that time, that season in your life begin to define how you live with purpose? Chris, that is such an important question, particularly as we mentor 20-year-olds. And I look back at my 20s and I think, what did I think my life was going to be? I knew I wanted to give it to the Lord, and I knew somehow I wanted to help people. First, I thought I wanted to teach school. Then I thought I wanted to go into nursing. And somehow God kept pointing me towards corporate life, which was not an original thought, certainly, you know, in my 20s, that I was going to be a corporate person. But all of a sudden, it sort of all came together through a group of people, particularly one lady who mentored me and who was giving me the encouragement to say, you can do it. You can do it. Growing up in Memphis, I went to the University of Memphis. It was Memphis State back then. You weren't naturally surrounded. I mean, if you're an Ivy Leaguer, you have no shortage of people giving you advice and mentoring you and telling you you're going to be the CEO of a corporation someday. But having grown up in a much more common sense of Memphis, not born into any kind of privilege and that kind of thing. I really didn't have those kind of mentors. What I had, though, were faith mentors who said, God has a purpose for your life. You need to listen and you need to let him lead. And that really is what led me. Lori, in that one answer, you referred to mentoring younger people in their 20s. Hearing a little of your journey, it makes sense why that's such a passion of yours. And that is something maybe if our listening audience isn't aware of, part of what we do as the Love Works organization is each board member has an individual that they're pouring into and mentoring, both in character and in professional development. So what do you think now, looking back, because you didn't have that, what to you is the most important dynamic of that relationship when you are pouring into someone in their 20s right now? First and foremost is to let that individual really open up and define who they are. God always has a plan. I will tell you that my current mentee was sort of ordained Whether it's good or bad, she and I are a lot alike. And I keep relating to her. I keep saying, you're a 20-year-old version of the now old me. And as we talk about it, letting her open up and reveal her desires, and then I can take my wisdom and help her unpack and, and reveal in her bigger ideas and bigger thoughts than perhaps she's had. Also... I think this adult wisdom that we have as we've grown older, also we see life on a much broader continuum. We've lived a long time and we can look back and we can see how many years. It's so wonderful to be able to tell 20-somethings, you don't have to hurry. Everything doesn't have to be now, now, now. In fact, a lot of times the vision that you're creating for your life, it needs to develop over time. It doesn't need to be immediate. It doesn't have to be right now. And stop putting so much pressure on yourself. I'm sure you all see this all the time. Absolutely. You've got youngsters, your older teens now as they're becoming, they put so much pressure on themselves. They think they have to do it all now. So also to help them see that bigger picture of their life and really give themselves a break to take that time to develop out. One of the things that you said earlier is you definitely had a sense of purpose in your life. And with that purpose, there was a drive. You began to try Mm -hmm. to discern what is my future going to look like? And God began to point you in the direction of the corporate world. When you look back over your life, when did you begin to notice that you were dreaming bigger dreams and that there was something that God had put inside of you that was in this leader category. Mm -hmm. When you looked at your peers, they were dreaming their own Mm -hmm. dream, but maybe you were just outpacing a little bit and creating a little bit of separation and dreaming a bigger dream. One of our blessings of being believers is that 
We believe in truth. We believe in being as fair as we can be because we know life isn't fair. So if we have the opportunity to be encouragers and supporters and perhaps lead others and execute on that in a workplace, I'd love to say that all of the peers and individuals I worked with over the years had similar values, but they don't always. And what you find is that as you lead in love, you tend to develop an unbelievable loyalty in your people. A loyalty that I said bought me a lot over time because there were times I had been given so much responsibility without any help. And so I, had, I looked out and I had 22 direct reports. And back then we used to get performance reviews twice a year. I said, boy, all I did all the time was just give reviews. And then the annual survey feedback came up and I thought, oh, they are going to slaughter me. Well, they didn't. They gave me the highest score I could have gotten. And when I said in the meeting, guys, I didn't deserve this score. They said, but we know that if you could have how you would have treated us, you would have been there for us. You know, when you can get that kind of loyalty from people that they love you and they understand even when times are hard, they follow you, you know that you're doing something right. And that's when I realized, Chris, that the way that I was leading was impacting people's lives in the way that I felt like God had ordained. That's a great picture of what Leadership Works is all about, because we say at Leadership Works that most leadership doesn't work when it's about the leader, but it does work when it's about other people. So what you just described is a picture of servant leadership. In that, I want you to speak into this for just a little bit. We talk about through leadership works, and this will be an emphasis in the conference that we're hosting on August 26. Every problem in life can be solved by three things, leadership, love, and loyalty. Speak into that a little bit. Oh, it is so true. When I think about over the years, the people that I have worked for or the people who have worked with me or worked for me. And I put them into sort of categories. I think as a leader, we bring certain things to the table that have to do with who we are, which, again, I think if we can build that loyalty in our team, we can show empathy and compassion and we hear what they're saying. And we can't solve every person's individual problem or career goal, but we can lead them and direct them and help them to find that path. But sometimes we don't have a skill. And if we don't have that skill, then it's important for us then to hire into that to complement and build that team out and never to discount what God's given us. Mm -hmm. I was telling someone the other day how I'm getting ready to do some consulting work with a person who I'd hired about 16 years ago at FedEx, Harvard MBA, top 5% of his class, brilliant, brilliant man. Some people were very intimidated by him. Not me. I wasn't intimidated. I was so excited to have that kind of brilliance on my team, something I didn't have, you know, in some of the areas that he was so strategic and analytical. And, and I thought, that's what a team is about. It's to bring all these different skill sets and all these different abilities together, put them into a team where you can build that loyalty, where you can have that collaboration and cohesion of team, and then you do amazing things with it. So, Laura, you said that you entered FedEx about age 20. Is that right? 21. 21. When you look back, obviously mm -hmm. a lifetime invested in that company. Tell us a little bit about those first years and how did all that God had made you to be develop within that framework of that corporation? Well, it's quite interesting because that was a startup. We didn't even use that terminology back then. But I started with FedEx when it was five years old. I was employee number 10,002, which meant there were fewer than 10,000 people there at the time. It's now over 350,000 team members strong. And it was relatively small. Everyone was young. 
everyone was young. In fact, my boss was 30, and I wondered why I worked for the old guy. Is that <laughs> hilarious? So we were all young. We were all very motivated and passionate and excited. It was the blind leading the blind a lot, which was a lot of fun because we were literally clearing our own path and building our own railroad track in front of the train, which was really, really fun and interesting. We weren't afraid to innovate. We weren't afraid to try things. I love to say the company was making so much money, we didn't know what to do with ourselves back then in the early days. Now, this, you know, granted, I came five years in. The first five years, I understand there wasn't quite as much money. So it was an absolutely wonderful time. I mean, it's a dream. It's a dream to be a part of a company like that, to get promoted very quickly. I became a manager at age 26. I was a director by age 29. I was a VP by age 31. Quick, rapid ascent through the career development. And it's not always that way now. You know, as companies get older, unfortunately, have to do. Sometimes it's even downsizing and reorganizations and so forth. So I think it was an opportunity to grow. It was also a bit of a shocker. As I mentioned earlier, I didn't have that mentor. So I didn't really have someone to bounce off of me. Having grown up in Memphis, was I a little sheltered? You know, had I been so in the church? I didn't know what it's like when everybody said, well, we're going out for drinks after work. Mm -hmm. Drinks? You know, I've never had a drink in my life. You know, what do you mean drinks after work? So there was a little little bit that I could have used a coach. I could have used someone to help ground me and what I was beginning to experience. People from different parts of the country, cultures and so forth, different values. That would have been real helpful if I'd had someone there with me as I started my career. So Laurie, as you're climbing the corporate ladder, you have the ability to kind of look to your left, look to your right and see who's climbing and who's not climbing. What were the common denominators of some of the great leaders that you have worked with through the years? Truly those who cared more about others than cared about themselves. I'm not to say that there aren't leaders at FedEx that have healthy egos, because I also contend that you have to be pretty confident in order to climb that ladder. There are times when you know you're stepping into something you actually have no idea what you're doing, but you have to kind of fake your way. So that takes some confidence. You've got to have that confidence that you can do it. But over time, the people who were totally in it for themselves, the people that were not collaborators, were not team builders, came in thinking that they were going to change the world. I'll be promoted in a year because I'm going to get this done or that done. They didn't make it. They didn't last. They were gone. And that is part of the FedEx culture because it's such a great culture of teamwork and collaboration. That was just not a place for people like that to succeed. Sort of my style of teamwork was one of my keys to success. We talked about some of the common strengths of those great Mm -hmm. leaders. What would be some of the common weaknesses that you would see of the people who weren't climbing the ladder in the Mm -hmm. same way? I've given a lot of thought here recently, Chris, to that question because, as you know, we're working on some career development curriculum for our mentees that are going to kind of introduce them to what we believe are some of the core attributes and skill sets that are needed they may not have thought about in their 20s. Again, you know, if I could go back and had my perfect mentor, what would they have worked with me on? And a few of the things. One is just knowing how business runs. If you don't have a natural curiosity about how a business is successful, what makes it tick, what makes it successful, to have good business acumen and to also be willing to, again, be this collaborative team player and to step up and be accountable, to be held accountable. So many people want something 
sort of given to them. I've served my time. I've been in this job five years. I should be promoted by now. Or so-and-so over in the cube next to me. They didn't even have the MBA I've got. Why am I not promoted? This whole entitlement versus accountability, which is so, so, so very important. And then two more things. If I say you need to be strategic. What does that mean to people? You know, I remember someone asking me if I had a strategic plan. I thought, heck, I'm managing 22 people all day long. I can barely get home at night. I'm working so hard. Strategic plan. But as I rose in the corporation, I understood that it was understanding and seeing the bigger picture for the company and seeing it in a more of a continuum of what are the goals that we needed to set so that we could be successful for years to come. And then I guess sort of the last one, which is probably like everybody's least favorite one, is truly having some financial acumen. So many people want to know, uh, you know, I want to go get this job and I want to work here, but they don't really want to understand the numbers. If I can avoid the numbers, I'm going to avoid the numbers. But to really be savvy and to really be strong in what you do, both personally and professionally, you need to know how finances work. You need you can't to make wise decisions without good data. You just can't. So I think those are some of the key attributes that make people successful. I'll say the last one, which is kind of covers all of that. In all things, when one builds a vision, you can be quite visionary and quite strategic and have neither the skill to execute nor the focus on the outcome. So at the end of the day, the most successful leaders not only can build that plan and get that plan onto paper or on a grease board and communicate it to their team, but they're also that leader that knows how to motivate and execute on that plan and then hold everyone accountable, including themselves, to the outcomes that were committed. Those are the people that move forward. Those are the people that ultimately are going to get the next promotion. Lori, I love listening to you describe this, and it's so encouraging how you have used something that you desired to have in your life. You wished that you had had that person that was a step ahead of you, and really, I think, have made it a primary goal of yours to help people with personal development. And even just this list that you went down, I thought, gosh, every leader that's in their 20s, every aspiring CEO, if they would just take those things and hold on to them and run with them. You, in your career, obviously got to an elite level of leadership. I'm just wondering maybe for our audience out there, maybe it's that person that they've been out of school a few years and they've been in that job for a few years. What would you say as the elite level leader looking back when you were hiring someone that maybe two or three years out of school, but what are you looking for in them? I would invest in this person as opposed to this person. What were those character qualities or even those other things that might be the differential for you? It's almost like something you can see right away in an individual. The first thing you see is that that person is naturally curious. They're not satisfied with, I gave you your job description and showed you what you'd be responsible for. They're asking questions about, now, why do we do it that way? And what have we done in the past? And what other ideas have we had about how to do this? Who else in the company knows about that? And, and how could I help them? Could I help some others get this done? So they have this natural curiosity about their job and what they're doing. The second thing that I just valued so, so very much was that positive attitude, the can-do. I teach this workshop called Personal Branding, and I talk about one of the most important attributes is this get or done. So I had a VP that reported to me, and she also worked for me when we were director VP. So we worked together many years. And one of the reasons I valued her so much is I would come up with these crazy ideas, but it would be, I'd think, a good idea. So we need to get everybody together and talk about it. And I'd start talking. And before I could almost get the idea fully articulated, she'd be nodding. She'd be getting it. And then she'd look at me and she'd say, consider it done. Not only did she say, consider it done, 
She went straight out of her office, pulled her super team together, and they went out and figured out how to execute it. Somebody like that who is just ready and eager. Now, I'm not saying a yes person. Don't get me wrong. She would also, if the idea was terrible, be the first person to say, you know, I can see where you're coming from, but here's how we can improve on that idea. Or maybe we need to think about these considerations before we do that. So I'm not saying she all, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when we needed to get it done, she was there to get it done. The bottom line of the LoveWorks organization and the Leadership Works Conference is we say we want to develop difference makers. And the reason why that's our bottom line is because we don't change a city by just changing our existing leadership. We change a city by changing our emerging leadership. And it's the goal of this organization, and it's the privilege of this organization by having people like you on the board and involved in it, is that what we really want to do is we want to make sure that these life lessons that you have shared with us today, they become something that we can give to people in a strategic way and that we can make sure that this isn't just something that happens random. It's not something that's just you're lucky if you have access to someone like you, but rather we can create a process where we invite people into this organization, into this conference so that we can accelerate their future. So as we wrap up this podcast today, just speak to our audience as to the importance of a conference like this in getting exposure to such incredible leaders like a Ken Blanchard, who is one of the top 25 selling authors of all time for Amazon. What's the value and benefit of that type of exposure? We will hear so much valuable information in that conference. It will speak to so many people in so many ways. And if each person at that conference is able to take away one or two or three major ideas that they can build back into their own lives and their own careers, Chris, that will have accomplished so, so very much. To be a young person and be exposed to that level of leadership and wisdom is way beyond any value that we could imagine the small cost to actually attend and put it on. And it will be one of those once-in-a-lifetime blessings that I hope everyone will take advantage of. Why is so valuable is that we all look back at those times in our lives where there was something that was a bit of an epiphany or a change because we're believers as well, even though this conference, I think, is beautifully suited for those who perhaps don't share our faith. But because we in this room share a faith, we know how God also speaks through those people and into our lives in in areas in that moment have perhaps a need or need clarity, something that maybe we're struggling with and we haven't quite been able to pull together. And we can take that wisdom that we're going to take away from that conference to help us sort that out in our own careers and our own lives. So it's something that is not only going to be tremendously valuable, but something I so pray that we at High Point will be able to continue to deliver to our community for you. Years to come. It is definitely our goal to build this value-adding relationship with our business community, with our nonprofit community, with all the different aspects of our local government and things of that nature. So we're so excited about this conference and just want to encourage everybody, if you will go to leadershipworksconference.org, you can find out everything you need to know. You can go ahead and register. This conference, I promise you, will deliver and you'll be excited about what you learn, but more than that, you'll be grateful that your teammates came with you. That brings us to the end of our Love Works podcast. Again, if you did not catch that, please go to leadershipworksconference.org for more information. The Leadership Works Conference is August 26th, and we can't wait to have you there. 